Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we bring back my friend, Cynthia Thurlow. Protein, protein, protein is the most important macronutrient um, and one that is going to help reduce your likelihood of developing sarcopenia. Again, it's not a question of if, but, but when. Um, reducing it and then also strength training and getting enough high quality sleep is also another really important piece there. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I wanna thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, happy Friday to you. I hope you're doing well today. Hey, thank you so much for choosing us out of all the options out there. You are with us today, and I am super grateful. I have a ton of vitamin G for you today. Today, we have an awesome episode with Cynthia Thurlow. You probably know who she is already. You may be subscri subscribed to her uh, Everyday Wellness podcast, which is a phenomenal podcast, or maybe you have her book, The Intermittent Fasting Transformation. We take a deep dive today into her backstory, how she transitioned from being a conventional nurse practitioner, just treating symptoms, prescribing meds, and she wanted to be proactive instead of reactive, and she made that pivot. She has a viral TEDx talk with millions over, I believe, 12 million views currently on YouTube, and she's a leading resource for intermittent fasting, especially for women, and we're gonna dive deep into that. First, we'll get into why the system is broken. We're gonna get into how it, we were healthy in the 70s and 80s and what changed. Why is obesity on the rise? Why is metabolic syndrome on the rise? And how intermittent fasting can be one of the best ways to reboot your metabolism, lose some serious weight, lower inflammation, and also balance your hormones for the ladies out there. So we'll talk about that. We're gonna get into protein as well because protein, she believes, should be a top priority, and I agree with her. We emphasize this a lot in the Keto Camp Academy, how it helps not only build muscle, which is a longevity organ, but also helps with insulin sensitivity. So you will talk about how to find that unique protein threshold that you should be hitting each day. We'll get into mapping your hormonal cycle with fasting to optimize your health and why CrossFit and Orange Theory and excessive exercising might not be the best idea certain, during certain times of your menstrual cycle. And of course, we talk about postmenopausal, premenopausal women as well. We're gonna get to as well a section here with question and answers because this episode is taken from a previous keto challenge we did and this was never released to the public, so you're getting access to it right now, first time ever. And uh, I'm releasing this today because we have an upcoming another keto challenge upcoming starting in just a few days, January 9th. So I wanna encourage you and inspire you to, hey, get signed up for that if you're not already. 
We already have thousands of people from all across the world who are signed up, and there's still room for you to sign up. It's completely free. It's seven days long. We start January 9th, and we end January 16th, and I teach for two hours every day. And I have special guest speakers who are going to come on throughout the challenge, which include Dr. Boz, Dr. Annette Boz, who's going to be speaking about what glucose and insulin does to the brain to fry the brain, what A1C testing really means, and uh, uh, how to overcome food addiction. We also are bringing on Dr. Daniel Pompa, my mentor, the GOAT, and Dr. Mindy Pels as well to talk about diet variation, feast, famine, cycling, how to fast like a girl, and so much more. We are bringing on Megan Ramos to talk about insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes and how to use keto and fasting to reverse that. She is a legend who works with another legend, Dr. Jason Fung, so you don't want to miss her session, and I'll be teaching every session as well. Not only that, we are giving away over $10,000 in prizes. As a matter of fact, I was looking at all the prizes today, this morning, over $18,000 in prizes that you could win for free, which include a one-year membership, 12 months free membership to our signature course, the Keto Camp Academy. Would you like to win 12 months free of health coaching from me? And our Keto Camp coaches, you'll qualify to win that as long as you sign up and join the challenge. We're also giving away 24 cartons of bone broth. We're giving away kinetic exogenous ketone energy drinks, good idea sparkling water drinks. We're giving away bundles from Paleo Valley, bundles from Redmond's Real Salt. We're giving away keto shakes from Health Code, aka Dr. Ben Bickman's company. We're giving away six months worth of purity coffee and other special announcements, including about 20-plus copies of my book, Keto Flex. Uh, All you have to do is head over to ketocampchallenge.com, sign up. It's free unless you upgrade your experience. That's an option for you, and we start January 9th. So click the link in the podcast notes down below or just head over to ketocampchallenge.com. Without further ado, let's get right into this episode, this phenomenal conversation with Cynthia Thurlow. Here we go. All right, let's bring on Cynthia. So Cynthia is our featured speaker today. This is a, a, a photo from KetoCon earlier this year. We got to hang out. As a matter of fact, uh, Cynthia and I have been able to share the stage together three times this year uh, in Keto Salt Lake in Utah, KetoCon in Texas, and then New York City last month for Keto Symposium. It has been an honor being her friend. Uh, being a colleague of her. She's also a mentor to me. And many of you know her. She's a nurse practitioner of over 20 years, internationally known women's health expert. Her viral TEDx talk, we got to update that. I think it's over 12 million views right now. She really understands hormones. And she has a great experience of going the conventional route, which she's going to share with you, of a nurse practitioner to seeing the writing on the wall and changing things up. She's also the author of... Intermittent Fasting Transformation. See, hold that up right there. An amazing book. It's a 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. We all want that. And guys, you have women in your life who you have relationships with. So today's session is for you too, and this book is for you too. So without further ado, here is my beautiful friend, Cynthia Thurlow. Hey, Cynthia. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I had to laugh. I've been asking my husband to put a ring doorbell in and um, he's an engineer. And so he followed through with the request to install the doorbell. But right as I sat in front of my computer, I realized he had shut off the electricity in part of the house that I was in. And 
I was like, this is a problem. <laughs> so I quickly texted you and I'm so grateful to be in front of your community and connect with you as always, always a pleasure. You know, one of those, one of those friends in the health and wellness space that is exactly the person that he appears to be in real life as well as online. Thank you, Cynthia. I feel the same way about you. And tell Todd what's going on. You're trying to sabotage the session. <laughs> I just opened up the door. I was like, I told you 12 o'clock, Ben. And he was like, oh, let me go put the power back on. So I was frantically trying to get in front of my computer. Well, thank you for, for making it happen on a Saturday. So thank you for being here. And, and we're going to learn so much from you today. And if you're a VIP student, you get access to actually hop on the stream and ask Cynthia a question around the 45 minute mark, or I will ask her the questions for you. But let's let's share your story because you're a nurse practitioner. Mm -hmm. You follow the conventional route. You work the ER room and you kind of saw what was happening after the fact. And you decided to actually be preventative and instead of treating things, getting to the root cause. So I'd love for you to share that story, Cynthia. Yeah. I mean, the easiest way to explain it is I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie. And so I started my medical training uh, really in the emergency room. I worked in inner city Baltimore. I loved everything I saw. I saw, I loved the variety and the challenge, the intellectual rigor. And it was an easy transition once I became a nurse practitioner to transition into cardiology because I love everything about the heart and I like sick patients. And then after becoming a parent, I really started to shift a lot of what I was doing to make my career, although at that point I was working part time to be you know, more amenable, more accessible to my children. And so I transitioned from doing an all hospital based practice to doing clinic work, which actually allowed me to be more autonomous. And I kept feeling like we were missing opportunities with our patients. I can prescribe a lot of powerful drugs. I can send you to the cath lab. I can send you to the hospital. Uh, we can talk about hospice, but I felt as if there were lots of things that were being missed by not addressing lifestyle. And we weren't allowed uh, or permitted to have enough time in our um, clinic visits with patients to really spend 30, 40, 50 minutes talking to people about lifestyle. And so throughout the course of probably the last five years, I worked for this practice. I went down a lot of rabbit holes. I started with a PhD program and that didn't light me up. And then I did a wellness coaching program and that didn't light me up. And then I stumbled upon a book I always say there are always books that are put um, out there for us. One was called Eat the Oaks. And I reached out to the author who I am now friends with and said, tell me where you got your training. And so I went down a functional route. And then I also read a book by Robin O'Brien called um, The Unhealthy Truth. And I think both of those books really were a catalyst to feeling as if there were a, so many missed opportunities with patients that I can make a larger impact. Mm -hmm. And so I left clinical medicine six years ago and became an entrepreneur and uh, I'm married to an engineer. And so he thought I was a little crazy because I didn't have a business plan. I don't recommend anyone do this, uh, by the way, without a business plan. I didn't have a business plan. I just said, I know I'm going to be successful. And, and the rest is kind of history. But it really speaks to the fact that there is, there is a need for traditional allopathic medicine. If you are urgently sick, chronically, you know, urgently sick, emergently sick, no one does it better. But we really don't do a great job with prevention mm -hmm. and we sure as heck don't do a great job with chronic disease management and i've been able to see that up close and personally and and so i've spent the last six years really helping largely women understand our bodies and be able to proactively navigate 35 and up um, all the way up to wherever whatever life stage we're in and then also understanding there are a lot of different strategies that don't require potions pills and powders and don't require um, medication, 
Although I, I like to always say there's, there's sometimes a need for these things and I don't want anyone to feel badly. I take thyroid medicine every day. That's the only way my, my thyroid is going to be fully optimized. And so I've now really devoted the second half of my life to helping women and empowering women and inspiring women to live their best lives and to not, um, to not feel as if the medical community is, is fully meeting their needs. I, I tell everyone, uh, I know you know the story, uh, but uh, someone said to me in my early 40s, well, maybe this is just the way things are. And I said, absolutely, positively not. Mm. Um, every person deserves to live uh, a good life and not just survive, but thrive at any stage of life they're in. Mm. Yeah, I, I love your story, Cynthia, um, because mm -hmm. it takes a lot of guts and courage to make that transition, especially mm -hmm. when Todd, your husband, was probably a little hesitant, <laughs> kind of stepping into the entrepreneurial world. And I'm sure he sees that it was a blessing that you decided to do that. And you're right. There's a need for conventional medicine. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. If you get into an accident, if you have something that's really uh, urgent, go to the emergency room, get it taken care of. They're really good at that. What they fail at miserably is preventing these issues. Now, I'm not talking about accidents. Those happen. Right. But metabolic disease, we know that people are sick. They're unhealthy, mm -hmm. insulin resistance. And you're not trained on that. You're not trained on being proactive and nutrition, and they're not teaching you about intermittent fasting. So these are things that you learned on your own. And I love the two books you referenced, um, Eat the Yolk. That's Liz Wolf, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. A great book. I remember and, that. And it's interesting that I'm a fervent believer that books come to you when you're ready for them, when you're ready for the message. And yeah. so um, I have, a, as I'm sure you do too, I've got a pile of books to my right that I have to read for podcast guests. But, but I think each one of us, we're going to find books and find works or find a podcast or connect with people online that really inspire us to think beyond kind of the conventional wisdom. And, and so I, I think on a lot of levels, I use my platform. I always say like my medical training, I still use that every day because it allows me to speak from um, a very authentic place. But I also humbly say that I'm going to be a lifelong learner. I'm constantly learning. I learn from you. I learn from other people in the health and wellness space. And that inspiration, I think, benefits everyone. You're really speaking from a, a place of abundance. Uh, uh, abundance, exactly. That's it. Mm -hmm. And you're so right about we get the information, we get the resources, we get the books, but you have to be willing to receive it. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, for a lot of people, it, it takes them to go rock bottom. It, it, they have to go to a really dark place. At least it did for me before mm -hmm. I had to kind of wake up and take responsibility. I remember when I was in college, um, I was actually going through depression in college. I was, that was the time I was depressed. But I remember my teacher, my professor, he actually handed me a uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer book, The Power really? of the in college, and I never read it. I was like, who is this guy? Like, I was not willing <laughs> to receive it, right? Until I hit rock bottom and I was really, you know, suicidal that I decided to kind of read a book. But we want to not have to get to that point. We don't have, we want to go through the suffering to be able to wake up. So that's why I love about this group here and the challenge members, because they're all being proactive. Mm -hmm. We have some nurses in here. One of them is Debbie. She's a Keto Camp Academy student. I'm sure there's other nurses here. Mm -hmm. So they're going to really love uh, what you're about to share. And something that I want to start off with is um, when you do your presentations on stage, I've seen you three times this year, you show a, a graph or a, a picture of, mm -hmm. I think the 1970s of what yes. people looked like on the beach versus what they look like now and why we have this mismatch of being healthy in the past and obesity now. So could you explain that graphic? Yeah. And it's a graphic that uh, I would say 99.9% .9 of people have given very positive feedback because it's very jarring. It's meant to be startling. You know, the stark contrast of the 1970s versus, you know, now in the 2020s. 
And I think on a lot of levels, when I look at that photo and why I think it's so powerful is what's changed. And when we reflect on the last 50 plus years, there've been a lot of changes. You know, we went from, I grew up in the 1970s and 80s. Uh, my mom is a first generation Italian and, you know, we ate pretty crunchy. I didn't recognize it as such, but starting from the bare bone basics of nutrition, what most of us are eating, and when I say most of us, conventional westernized individuals is highly processed, hyper palatable food that is full of ingredients that our body doesn't know what to do with. I know you've had Dr. Kate Shanahan, who's amazing earlier this week, talking about seed oils and the dangers of seed oils. I think about high fructose corn syrup and fructose in general mm. um, being highly uh, damaging to our bodies. And we're just consuming so much processed foods that we're not actually getting the nutrients that our bodies need. And it leaves us in a state of inflammation, oxidative stress, which leads to insulin resistance, which leads to carbohydrate cravings, which leads to all this metabolic disease. So I think it all starts with nutrition, but it's also this very hedonistic culture that we live in. We have accessibility to everything at any time of the day or night. And if we didn't want to leave our homes, we, we could conceivably never leave our homes. We yeah. could just have everything delivered to us. That's the and metaverse. So, That's what the metaverse is going to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's disturbing. Like during the, the height of the pandemic, probably a good thing that you could maybe get groceries if someone in your house got sick. But, you know, conventionally we're, we're meant to, to move and we're meant to leave our homes. And um, a lot of what I see, you know, from a clinical perspective is that people are up all night. They're sleeping all day. They're taking drugs to stimulate them. They're taking drugs to make them to make them sleepy. Um, you know, it's this very dopaminergic um, culture that we're living in where we can get accessibility and binge things any time of the day or night. And I think on a lot of levels, I'm in the midst of reading a great book called Dopamine Nation. I'm not sure if you've read it. And I'm about oh, yeah. halfway, yeah, about halfway through it. And it's really sending off light bulbs in my brain, especially because I have teenagers. But I, I think we've gotten so far away from, you know, waking when the sun rises, going to bed when it's dark out eating uh, aligned with our circadian biology, which means eating during the daytime, not eating at nighttime. We're not getting enough sleep. Sleep is incredibly restorative. And so I really kind of niche down on it's multifactorial. There are so many reasons why we are no longer healthy. The other thing is um, the bulk of Americans sit most of their day. And I'm not saying like you sit, like right now I'm sitting, I'm not standing, I'm sitting, but I'm otherwise a very active person but a lot of people sit in their cars to go to work or sit on a train or they sit in an Uber to go to work and then they sit all day long and then they come home and they're eating late at night and they're, you know, snacking after meals and they're having a lot of alcohol or, you know, fructose laden frappuccinos. I don't know how they fall asleep, but there are all these things that are going against conventionally the conventional ways that our bodies are designed to thrive. So it's the nutrition piece. And then we're tricked into overeating and we're eating all day long instead of eating in a short kind of window of food. Uh, we're not sleeping. We're not managing our stress. Gosh, the last two years, mm. uh, I don't think there's anyone watching that hasn't experienced more stress. And I think when we spoke in uh, Keto Salt Lake, I was talking about the average weight gain and people joke about the COVID-19. Well, there are people out there that have gained in excess of 25, 30, 40, 50 pounds during the pandemic. And so- I always like to kind of point out there's a lot of different reasons. A lot of people eat for different reasons. Um, and I know that's not the focus of our discussion, but there are many, many reasons. But some of the highlights are the, the highly processed foods, the meal frequency, the lack of sleep, the 
we're not managing our stress, we're sympathetic dominant, we're going 24 seven, we eat standing up, um, we don't connect with nature. I tell everyone I start my day with, you know, anywhere from a mile and a half to two miles at a minimum um, with our dogs in the morning and sunlight on my retinas, you know, telling my body it's time to suppress melatonin, increase cortisol. And how many people are doing things they, that they get tremendous joy from? I, I think it's, it goes without saying, like, it seems kind of woo woo, but it really isn't. It's so grounded in science. If, if you're not surrounded by people that you love or doing things that you love, that has a huge detrimental impact, not only on your, your mental health, but also your physical health. And so um, I, I think on a lot of levels, those are some of the biggest things that I'm seeing that I think are impacting people's health but it all starts with food. That's like one of my, you know, battle cries that it all starts with food. The most important thing you can do is change, shift the way you eat and what you eat. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about that when regards to keto, right? Everybody mm -hmm. on here is doing keto. Some are brand new. Some have been doing it for a while, but we know Cynthia that there are thousands of ways to do keto mm -hmm. and the way that you and I view keto as it's one tool. It's a very mm -hmm. great tool, but it's not the only tool. It's not something you do for the rest of your life. So let's relate that specifically to women. Um, why do women, why should women practice this amazing tool differently than men? What are some of the uh, specifications for a woman who has a menstrual cycle versus perimenopause and postmenopause for, for keto specifically? Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm glad you're asking this question because it's certainly a, a really important one. Let's just say women that have gone 12 months without a menstrual cycle and men, they're in one bucket. Um, their hormones are much more stable. They usually find it much easier to acquiesce into uh, a lower carb lifestyle. When I'm looking at younger women, so we'll say 35 and under, these are women that are still at peak fertile years. And certainly for many of them, they're just kind of cruising along. They have no idea. They're not really paying attention to their cycle. I know I didn't, let me be very clear, even as a clinician, um, women that are 35 and under, it, there's a beautiful kind of symphony with our, our menstrual cycles and hormones. So from the day you start bleeding until up until ovulation, so we'll say day 14 in a perfect scenario, this is the, the uh, follicular phase. This is when estrogen predominates. And estrogen is this amazing power hormone. It's the hormone that allows us to have the ability to push our workouts. We can have lower carb lifestyles or ketogenic lifestyles. Um, we're much more insulin sensitive. So uh, that's an important moniker. If only seven to 8% of Americans right now are metabolically flexible, um, AKA insulin sensitive, really important to understand this is the time to maximize what you're doing is during those first two weeks of your menstrual cycle. And after ovulation, progesterone, which is a wonderful hormone, we need them to be in balance. Progesterone is kind of like the sleepy mellow sister of estrogen and this is in a women's cycle where she may not be able to push her workouts as hard. She may not have as much energy. She may have cravings where she's feeling, maybe I'm craving a little more carbohydrate in my diet. And so I typically say that five to seven days preceding your menstrual cycle, that's when you may need a little bit more discretionary carbs. Let me be clear. I'm not talking about eating a gallon of ice cream or eating five sweet potatoes, which would actually be hard to do. Um, maybe it's half a cup more. Maybe it's um, one cup more, depending on how physically active you are to kind of loosen up and kind of kick yourself out of ketosis as you're heading into getting your menstrual cycle. And I feel like for many women, as I work with them, when they do that and they understand that's the time in their cycle to take the, take the, their foot off the gas, mm -hmm. if you will, they, they do much better. They don't have as many cravings. They sleep better, et cetera. Did you know that 51% of Americans are reportedly taking a multivitamin 
and they think it's making them healthier. In this one study of 14,641 men, half were given a multivitamin, while the other half were given a placebo. After over a decade of treatment, the multivitamin did not reduce the risk of cardiovascular events, stroke, or cardiovascular-related death. Another study focused on 21,000 people in the United States who took either a daily multivitamin or not. After undergoing health tests, the multivitamin group showed no higher psychological, physical, or functional health. Most multivitamins are synthetic and harshly processed. They contain ingredients that actually make your liver work overtime. Not good, especially if you already have a sluggish liver. It's always better to get nutrients your body needs in the form of whole foods. The solution is organ meat. And if you're anything like me, you probably don't like the taste of organ meat. So what I personally use and recommend is a organic organ meat complex, which is some of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet, richest source of natural vitamin A, B12, and additional B vitamins, iron, niacin, folate, phosphorus, zinc, selenium, I personally take Paleo Valley's Organ Meat Complex, and it is grass-fed and finished. It's all the benefits of organ meats without that nasty taste. Let's get back to our ancestral roots, and you could get a bottle or more of Paleo Valley's Organ Meat Complex and any of their products for 15% off. All you need to do, Keto Camper, is head over to paleovalley.com. Use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 at checkout and you could get 15% off your entire order. They have beef sticks, apple cider vinegar complex, vitamin C complex, and many other incredible products. Head over to paleovalley.com. Use the coupon code KETOCAMP15. And so let's talk about perimenopause. And this is 10 to 15 years preceding menopause. So if you're 35, 37, 38, 39, that starts the slippery slope. You may not actually know you're in perimenopause until your forties, but those changes are already happening. And so I find, and, and this is a caveat for both perimenopause and menopause. We are not as stress resilient. Our ovaries aren't producing as much progesterone in perimenopause. And so our adrenal glands, which are designed to be an emergency backup system are getting more than the emergency backup system. They're getting the chronic disease, you know, cr kind of chronic chronically leaning into them as your ovaries are producing less progesterone. So this will show up as sleep disturbances, anxiety, depression, et cetera. And then you get this relative estrogen dominance. And I say relative, meaning it's all relative to each person. You may have weight loss resistance. You may have tender breasts. You may um, be more moody. You're going to have crime scene periods. Sorry, guys, it's the truth. You'll have much heavier menstrual cycles. And so when I talk about low carb, it's always with the caveat of we're all bioindividuals. In perimenopause, you have to be very careful and attuned to your sleep quality, your stress, your nutrition should always be anti-inflammatory. And I know that you talk about, you know, the inflammatory foods and then the right types of exercise. This is not the time to do, I'm going to pick on Orange Theory Fitness, but that's a good thing to pick on. Um, Orange Theory Fitness, six days a week with no recovery. That's going to really burn you out and you're going to burn and crash. Um, or if you're doing CrossFit six days a week, no recovery, this is the time to lean into really doing some serious weight training, leaning into yoga, leaning into Pilates, um, doing lots of walking, being physically active, but your body, that degree of uh, demand on your body starts to shift in perimenopause and menopause. So you can still be low carbon ketogenic in perimenopause. But again, the same thing applies as you're transitioning to 
that week before your menstrual cycle, that's probably a good time to kick yourself out of ketosis. And I think one of the things I really value about you, Ben, is that you really stress this, that we don't want to be in ketosis 24 seven. There are people out there who are paranoid to have a piece of anything, you know, that it's a celebration and they, oh gosh, I don't want to kick myself out of ketosis. Yeah, you do because you want to demonstrate to your body that you have this resiliency that you can, you know, we have this variability to our carbohydrate intake as well as um, what we're doing. So that's kind of a high level view. Again, menopausal women still have to be conscientious about sleep and stress and anti-inflammatory nutrition because the weight creep is a real thing. Um, for every woman that's, that's watching this, if you, if you've been in perimenopause or menopause, it is a real thing that loss of testosterone, the, 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 you know, the decline in, in testosterone can oftentimes fuel those body composition changes. None of us like them. Um, but it's important to understand that there are definitely things you can do to tweak your lifestyle and tweak your nutrition and meal frequency that can have a positive net benefit. But if you really look at the research, the other thing I want to say, cause I get asked this question a lot is that if you really look at the research, most of it has been done on the following lab animals, men and obese menopausal women, um, both women in peak fertile years and perimenopausal women have largely been left out of all the research. I'm hoping that will change. Um, but I can tell you after working with thousands and thousands of women, there are definitely things that are pretty consistent. And so those are kind of the high level views of how women need to fast. And I always say, don't apologize for your physiology, embrace it. And so, you know, no apologies necessary, ladies, we should feel comfortable just saying, Hey, I'm still getting a menstrual cycle. I need to fast differently than my husband or my boyfriend or my significant other or my brother or whomever. That is so good. I hope everybody got what Cynthia just broke down there. She discussed cycling women, perimenopause and postmenopause. And I have a couple of follow-up questions on the cycling women. So you mentioned the five to seven days before mm -hmm. their period, that's a good time to build progesterone. And you don't really build progesterone with a lot of fasting, mm -hmm. fasting and, and ketosis. You do it with healthier carbs. But what about the woman who knows the benefits of kind of flexing out that week, but they've had a, a challenge with carb addiction, sugar addiction, and they're worried that if I add a piece of fruit or I add something that has carbs, it might open up a whole new door. How do you, how do you coach that person? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think first and foremost, uh, we all come to the table with our own, you know, our own history. And so I, I respect and value that uh, people are thinking proactively. I don't want to head down that path. What I generally recommend is that women lean into um, fibrous vegetables. So, you know, the starchy vegetables, whether it's sweet potato, it's very hard to overeat a sweet potato, mm -hmm. um, squash, uh, you know, if you tolerate those things and understanding that you're not going to eat copious amounts, you're going to nourish and enjoy every bit of it much more so than eating fruit. I, I think fruit, unfortunately gets a really bad rap, but if you're prone to binging on certain things, uh, you're, you're that, that sweetness profile in the fruit, even if it's berries, those can be a very slippery slope. So I, I generally recommend for those women leaning into squash and sweet potatoes because they tend to be much more fibrous and dense as opposed to eating rice where there's a never ending bucket. And I'm using that as an example because I had a discussion with someone online about this yesterday and I was encouraging them to really lean into those vegetables. Like I said, I never, I've never had a, a patient or a client tell me they overate squash or sweet potato ever. They generally feel full they're satiated. They know they've met that allotment of additional carbohydrate, but they're not looking for other food. And so understanding that you're not going to be eating a bucket load of sweet potatoes, it could be half a cup or a third a cup. I think a lot of it depends on your metabolic flexibility, how much discretionary carbohydrate 
you can enjoy in your diet. And that's typically how we handle it. And I say we, as in myself and my team, when we get those kinds of questions, but it's certainly a great one. So what about, uh, that's a great answer, by the way. I hope that's useful. So the vegetables, cruciferous vegetables, squash, mm -hmm. sweet potato. Um, what about adding just more protein that week and getting more like gluconeogenesis to help those hormonal conversions? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. anyone anyone that follows me knows I am pro, 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 pro protein. And especially for both men and women understanding that we build the bulk of our lean muscle mass in our 20s and 30s. And by the time we hit 40, we're already losing it. It's not a question of if, but when. And the way to visualize this, because I'm a very visual person, is that when you think about a delicious ribeye versus a filet, the filet is young muscle. So in your 20s and 30s, that's what your muscle looks like. Guess what starts to happen? As we get older, our muscle starts getting replaced by adipose tissue. This is one of the reasons why we start losing insulin sensitivity north of 40, and it really starts to accelerate after the age of 50. Um, and, and that's accompanied not by, not by just the muscle loss, but muscle strength loss. So that's even more significant. Um, and I say this because this is becoming more apparent. I have to work very hard at the age I'm at to maintain muscle mass. And why is this important? Because protein um, helps to stimulate muscle protein synthesis and hitting enough and adequate amounts of protein is critically important for maintaining metabolic health and insulin sensitivity. So um, I, I'm not sure what exactly um, in terms of protein needs you suggest, but I generally suggest no less than hundred grams of protein per day, especially as you're heading into that week. So, you know, pushing your protein is going to increase satiety. You're going to feel full. You're not going to be looking to eat more food because you're just too darn full. You sit down and eat a big ribeye. You're not going to be hungry for a long time. If I sit down and eat an eight ounce filet, I'm going to be full for several hours and so I really encourage um, and enthusi enthusiastically agree with you that really pushing the levers of protein, 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 protein is the most important macronutrient um, and one that is going to help reduce your likelihood of developing sarcopenia. Again, it's not a question of if, but, but when um, reducing it and then also strength training and getting enough high quality sleep is also another really important piece there. But I'm glad that you brought that up because when people say like, I'm trying to figure out how to hit those satiety points, protein is your best friend. Anytime I travel, that is always what I'm looking for. And typically my team laughs. It's usually a naked burger. If I'm traveling, I'm like, I can generally get a burger, no bun, no cheese. Cause I don't tolerate dairy and a salad and I'm good. And that usually works really well. That's great. Yeah. Protein is very important, not just for women, but for men as well. Mm -hmm. One more question uh, for the menstruating woman before we move on to more postmenopausal talk. What um, there's a point during those 28 days where there is an increase in testosterone and estrogen. Uh, I'd love for you to share at what point during that cycle and what are some good activities for that? AKA, should we do more strength training that those few days? Should we ask for a raise? Are we going to have more confidence? I'd love for you to speak on that. Well, um, this, this precedes when you ovulate. So this explains why people's libido goes up all of a sudden they're, you know, you're kind of very aware of your partner or partner, you know, if you're in the dating pool, probably more aware of, of what your options are there. And when I think about testosterone, um, testosterone is such an important hormone in women. We, we don't have as much of it as that can comparison to men. However, what's interesting is it's so much more potent in our bodies. We make less of it, but it is actually the most potent sex hormone in our bodies, not estrogen, not progesterone. Uh, people are sometimes surprised to hear that. And so, you know, I kind of lean it. I find a lot of women when they're getting ready to ovulate, they're not as hungry. 
They sometimes feel like their satiety cues are, are managed much more easily. They're not necessarily per se craving particular types of foods. But I do find for a lot of people, it really goes back to, um, sorry, I just got a notification on my computer that I'm going to ignore. Um, it really goes back to leaning into protein, healthy fats, low carb. Um, I do find preceding uh, having your ovulatory, like official ovulation, that many, many people are getting away with lower carbs. They can really push that carb threshold down. Um, they're feeling great with healthy fats and protein. But I, I think it's also really depends on the individual. You know, are you sleeping? What's your stress management like? Um, you know, I'm sure there are people watching who are probably on oral contraceptives or they're, they have an IUD. And that can actually blunt a lot of the things that we're talking about. That's the sad thing about oral contraceptives. It's good for contraception, um, but it blunts all your hormones. So you can actually get many of the symptoms that menopausal women and the late stages of perimenopausal women can experience physically. And that's because literally it's like your, your hormones are kind of numb. There's a complete disconnect from your brain to your ovaries, which is how you typically don't get pregnant. I say typically, because there are, are always people that do get pregnant on the pill, although that tends to be a whole lot smaller. But what I do typically see in those populations is that those women are experiencing symptoms that older women experience. And it has a lot to do with the fact that their hormone levels, especially estrogen are just very, very low. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So uh, when you, this is interesting because survival is the name of the game, right? The human body wants to survive. Reproduction is very important for survival. So you mentioned the week before ovulation, the body is going, the innate intelligence is going to build mm -hmm. up these sex hormones, testosterone mm -hmm. to make you more in the mood to potentially conceive and have a baby. Right. So that would be uh, week two, right. Would be mm -hmm. what, what like days and like six to 13 or so after the, the period starts. Um, so typically you're starting to see a rise in testosterone on day, around day 12. Um, this is pre -seen. So if you're, let's say perfect 28 day cycle of which I probably never had, right. <laughs> um, you know, day 12 is probably when you're starting to get these increases in testosterone and estrogen in an effort to, you know, drive behavior, you know, biology is, we're, we're, we're just like animals in that, in that regard, or we, are, we are designed to procreate whether or not we are ready to do that at that period of time. And so that stimulates behavior. Um, it's interesting that women that are not on hormonal contraception are actually attracted to different partners around ovulation versus women that are on oral contraceptives. Um, and it has a lot to do with pheromone secretion and, and other things that the more I learn about it, I'm like, the you know, the, the body is just innately so beautifully engineered to drive biology, even if that's not the biology we want it to drive at that particular point in our lives. But I think it's important for people to understand that if you map out how you feel throughout your cycle, and I do encourage women to do this, especially women in perimenopause, uh, because one of the common questions I get is, I don't get regular periods anymore. I'm on an IUD. I had an ablation. I have no idea where I am. I'm on the pill. There are people who are kept on oral contraceptives till they're well into menopause and they have no idea where they are. Um, there are a couple things you can do. You can keep a calendar of how you feel. Um, and I've actually spoken to a lot of GYNs about this. Like, how do you map out where you are in your cycle if you're not getting a consistent cycle? So symptoms, really being diligent. Like you may very well on an IUD or on, um, you know, you've had an ablation. You may still be ovulating, but heck, you aren't going to know because <laughs> you're not having a, a bleed week. Or if you are, it's very uh, sporadic. And so mapping out cycles, uh, sometimes following a lunar calendar can be helpful. That's always like, you know, there's a stepwise approach. You can do an ovulation prediction kit that gets expensive. And I, I don't always encourage that unless we're doing a specific type of testing like the Dutch. 
and they really do need to know. So I think there's a lot of different ways, but the really complicated way is there's no definitive test in perimenopause to tell you where you are. A lot of it is based on symptoms. A lot of it is based on how regular your cycle is. A lot of it is based on, you know, you can do some testing, but there's really no great answer. I, unfortunately, I've asked hundreds of experts and I almost always get a different response. So I try really hard just to explain perimenopause is a wild ride. It's reverse puberty. And so a lot of navigating that time is just being patient because just like when you started getting your period at 12 or 13 or 14 or whenever you did, it probably wasn't regular right off the bat. And so it's, it's that same understanding that as our hormones are kind of trending downward, we're going to see different signs and symptoms and just being patient. But most of us are not patient and myself yeah. included. Of course, I wanted to know where am I? When is it, when am I going to go into menopause? When is that going to happen? So <laughs> that's great. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of considerations mm -hmm. there. Um, let's talk about postmenopausal women now. So the ovaries, right? They, they do their job and they end up retiring and that's a, a major, um, body part, body part, essentially mm -hmm. that's like giving, not giving up, but actually putting the work and retiring rightfully. Yep. So, so what has to pick up the slack for the, for the ovaries shutting down? Yeah. So our ovaries are the main site of progesterone secretion, uh, from the time of puberty up until the end of perimenopause. And so as we are transitioning into perimenopause, again, the 10 to 15 years preceding menopause, our adrenal glands start, you know, they're taking one for the team. They kind of step in to help with progesterone production, but they're designed to be an emergency backup system. And so I remind people, this is why we are not stresses. We are not as stress resilient that does not mean we cannot manage stress in middle life. It just means your body is going to take a bigger hit. So if you get divorced, you have a, an illness, you have, you lose a job, um, you know, you get divorced, any of these big things that can happen, your body is not going to be as stress resilient. And so I, I, this is why I lean into why stress and sleep are so important. They're in fact, foundational to our health. Yeah. And we don't talk enough about this and no, it is not five minutes of meditation once a day. It, or once a week, um, more often than not, I get people will tell me that I'm like, okay, that's good for that minute. <laughs> that's not necessarily good for the whole week. But in terms of physiologically, what's happening is as progesterone, there's as our ovaries are kind of withering at the vine, if you will, I kind of think of them as a flower bud that is kind of just closed up, you know, it's yeah. just gone dormant. Um, the adrenals step in. And then, you know, quite honestly, the body desperately tries to maintain homeostasis. And so You'll hear many differing opinions about this. Um, I think perimenopause is a really good time for women to consider. And I say to consider in conjunction with your healthcare provider, whether or not um, oral progesterone the week before your menstrual cycle or um, oral progesterone throughout the month might be appropriate for you to help support sleep. I, I think a lot of women needlessly suffer in perimenopause, not being able to sleep having terrible anxiety and depression and they get put on antidepressants when actually what they need is nature's anti-anxiety agent, which is actually progesterone. So mm -hmm. just something to kind of think about that. Um, that's always a consideration. I know uh, you probably have different guests um, having differing opinions about this, but I, I do believe fervently that there's no shame in, in uh, adding in hormone replacement therapy. If that is what you and your healthcare practitioner decided is the best step for you. Hey, Keto Camper, we've been told for a long time, when it comes to magnesium, look at the forms. And let's face it, there's so many different forms and confusion when it comes to magnesium. But this company called Upgraded Formulas 
They've created a nanoparticle magnesium, so you don't really have to worry about the form anymore. The unique thing about nanoparticles, it goes right into your membranes. It's small enough to penetrate the cell membrane. And the truth is most people are suffering from a magnesium deficiency. Common symptoms and signs of a magnesium deficiency include poor sleep, cramping, eye twitching, headaches and migraines, a regular heartbeat, stiff joints, anxiety, depression, body odor, and others. Magnesium is intimately involved in how you look, feel, and how you move. It's critical for feeling energetic, achieving peak mental and physical performance, and looking young and vibrant. There's a current sleep study being conducted right now on upgraded formulas magnesium. Early results so far shown that it was given to 212 doctors, and they had an average of 30% more deep sleep shown on their aura ring with upgraded formulas magnesium. Now, why is that important? Deep sleep is where your body activates its fat-burning hormones. You detoxify, you repair, you recover. How many of you would want to get more deep sleep? I'm raising my hand right now. Upgraded magnesium is endorsed by myself, my mentor, Dr. Dan Pompa, by my colleague, Dr. Mindy Pels, and many, many others. Another cool thing about magnesium is that it converts into melatonin, and melatonin is the most potent antioxidant for your mitochondria, and yes, it also helps with sleep. Look, it's much easier to replace the building blocks than to put in hormones, and that's what magnesium does. If you want to get your hands on a bottle of upgraded magnesium for 15% off, head to upgradedformulas.com. Use the coupon code KK15 at checkout and you'll get 15% off your entire order. That's upgradedformulas.com. Use KK15 at checkout to get 15% off your order. What about topical progesterone? I think it'd be, it can be helpful if you, so it's interesting. Um, I actually have been through a couple uh, continuing education, continuing medical education events. And the big takeaway is if you have a uterus and you are in, um, and you are in menopause and you are on estrogen and you need oral progesterone, it's not equivalent. And now if you are perimenopausal or younger, um, I think transdermal application is probably okay. Uh, again, it has to be taken in the context. Is this someone who just needs it the week before their cycle? That's sometimes when I will use that with women, you know, younger women, we use it the week before their cycle and it's like life changing. Um, I do think oral progesterone because it tends to be very sedating, which is both a good thing. If you want to fall asleep, um, it can be very helpful. Like I take a sustained release progesterone. So it has an, uh, an acute onset and a, and a delayed onset. So it's sustained. Um, that has been very helpful for me. I think the transdermal, which is the skin absorption progesterone is certainly a nice option, uh, for a lot of women before they go into menopause. But if you have a uterus and you're in menopause and you're on estrogen, the only thing that's based on study research that will protect your uterus is oral progesterone, not transdermal skin absorbed. Just, I just want to put that in there because inevitably I always get questions. So I just wanted to make sure I clarified that. Good. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, so that's good to know. Uh, so we, you gave the protocol, the general protocol for the woman who has a menstrual cycle, the week before your period, you want to flex out higher carbs, less mm -hmm. fasting. What about the postmenopausal woman? What's a good general protocol for them? Yeah. I mean, I like them to flex out at least once a week. I know you and I are both a fan of the five one one. And so whether it's every week or a couple times a month, I think the longer you've been fasting, if you are, let me just back this up. If you are lean 
and you are at a healthy weight and metabolically flexible, you probably need to do that more often than someone that is still working on becoming more metabolically flexible. So actually I try to have at least one day a week where I flex out and I, and I'll really enjoy a lot of healthy carbohydrates. And I try to time it with a day where I've been lifting heavy. I'm trying to give examples so that it makes it a little more applicable. Um, I think for the average person, I would say twice a month minimum. Um, I think it really depends on what else you're eating. You know, what's your diet like? Are you monitoring your blood sugar? Do you have a CGM? I mean, I gauge a lot of recommendations based on insulin sensitivity and knowledge is power and glucometers and continuous glucose monitors, because I think it's really important for all of us to know what foods provoke a, a much more exaggerated blood sugar response. Like I always talk about myself in the context of, yes, I'm low carb and have been for a long time. Um, plantains don't like me. I love plantains. I love plantains doesn't matter how I make them. It always spikes my blood sugar, but I can eat a banana, which makes zero sense to me. Um, I can eat other types of tropical fruits, which makes zero sense to me. But that bio-individuality I think is really important. And glucometers are pretty inexpensive. So everyone watching can probably, that can probably be within your budget, maybe not a continuous glucose monitor, but if you are insulin resistant or diabetic, that is covered by insurance. And I would encourage you to have a conversation with your internist or primary care provider. So that gets covered because that can be invaluable information, like really invaluable to know the net impact of sleep and stress and nutrition and exercise on what does it do to your blood sugar? Yeah. So, so valuable. So I love that. And by the way, glucometers are really affordable. We've been talking Mm -hmm. about keto mojo all week. Cool thing about keto mojo is that it gives you both glucose and ketones. Mm -hmm. The drawback is you got to keep pricking your fingers. So a, a continuous glucose monitor, there's no pricking just one time, 14 days, we, we do have, uh, for those who want to get a CGM, which is a continuous glucose monitor, uh, NutriSense is who we uh, partner up with. So that's the link for those watching. We have a $30 off code. It's NutriSense.io slash KetoCamp if you want to check them out. Cynthia is a big fan of CGMs. I am as well. We talk mm-hmm. a lot about in the academy because to your point, plantains are, are spiking your glucose, but for mm-hmm. Process it very well, but I would have no idea. You would have no idea unless yep. you're looking at that postprandial glucose. So having a CGM on, it's a great tool. Now you don't have to get it if it's not in your budget. We're not saying that. Yep. It's, it's another tool or resource, but there's ways to kind of gauge that. What are some maybe um, free ways to gauge whether a meal worked for you or against you? Well, you know, it, it's a good feeling. I think a lot of it is just being attuned to your body. I would say something free for everyone can do that's watching this, go for a 10 or a 15 minute walk after every meal. That is one of the best ways because you want to think about your muscles as being the sponge. They're a glucose reservoir. And so that's a really great way to help with insulin sensitivity. I would say the other thing is just being mindful. Like, how do you feel? Like I know I'm so attuned to how I feel that it, you know, for birthdays and celebrations and in my house, between my kids and my husband and I, we, it's like a two month span of time and an anniversary. I feel like we're always eating way more cake than we do at any time of the year. And I do believe in celebrating anniversaries. But one of the things that happens to me when my blood sugar goes up is I can feel my pulse in my ears. I sometimes get a little sweaty and I just don't feel, I get sleepy. And Mm -hmm. so those are tells. So like leaning into, if you get sleepy after a meal, you might want to check your blood sugar. If you get tired after a meal, if you get sweaty, especially, sorry, ladies, perimenopause and menopause, um, the rules change. All of a sudden you, you are not nearly as insulin sensitive. I, I think about that. And I also think about pairing, like there's a really great book that um, came out earlier this year called Glucose Revolution. 
And Jessie Ashafe is a biochemist and, and she does a really great job with illustrations. I mean, her content's fantastic, but talking about food order in which you eat. So eat fiber first to so have the salad, then have your protein, then have the carbohydrate. And it really makes sense because usually we do the opposite. We go out to dinner, someone puts down bread or chips or whatever, and we're eating that before a meal. And I could probably guarantee your blood sugar's spiking. So really thinking thoughtfully about um, the order in which you eat food, I think is really, really helpful. Um, and then the protein piece, protein with every single meal, every meal. And I always say, if you're hungry enough to eat protein, then you're hungry. Um, whereas, you know, if my kids are searching for chips and I'll say, why don't you have some jerky? Why don't you have some of this? If they don't go towards the protein, then I know they're just kind of munching and they're teenagers. Um, with that being said, those are usually the things I would say the walking, being attuned to symptoms, even I'm attuned to that. And then also food order. And that's kind of a new concept. I think for a lot of people, it's very reassuring to know that if they strategize to have that big salad first, then have your protein, then have the carbohydrate, that they're going to get a much less net impact on that blood sugar response. And inside Jesse's book, and I have no affiliation with her, um, I just think it's really cute. She's got little illustrations. So like my patients love that book. And so it's been a book that we've been reading in groups and we've been talking about a lot because I think it's really invaluable. Yeah, I can't. I'm going to read that book. I haven't read it yet, uh, but I follow her on Instagram. Um, those were two really great tips. I hope everybody mm -hmm. caught that. Number one, 10 to 15 minute walk after a mm -hmm. meal. That could be going outside. That's even better, but that could be in your house. But 10 mm -hmm. to 15 minutes is going to help reduce that post-prandial, post-eating yeah. glucose. And then the, the meal, uh, the food pairing and how you what you start your meal with. And that goes, especially, it's especially true for a, a fast. If you're breaking mm -hmm. a fast, you really want to be intentional with that. So fiber, number one, protein and fat, uh, and then the carbs should go at the end if you're having carbs. So if you're doing a flex day, that should be your order as well. That's going to really mitigate the glucose spike from that meal. So that's a super tip right there. I um, have one more question and then I'm going to get to VIP Q and A. Mm -hmm. so let me share this for the VIP Q and A members or the VIP members. Uh, we sent you a StreamYard link 30 minutes beforehand with the StreamYard link. So I see Susie, Helen, Lynn, Richard, and Erica and Scott. So if you want to come on the stream in five minutes and ask Cynthia your question, turn your camera on. If you don't want to come on the stream, but you want me to ask her your question, uh, post it in the private chat. I'll go in the private chat and review it. So we'll get to that in a few minutes. But uh, one last question for you is, so you mentioned how important it is to, to master stress, not just if you're postmenopausal. We, we're all bombarded with just sympathetic dominance and we mm -hmm. have all this stimulation like that book you talked about, Dopamine Nation. I mean, Dopamine Nation, is that what it's called? Yep. Yeah. Uh, you go on TikTok, it's like a, a spur of uh, dopamine. So oxytocin is the name of the game, right? Mm -hmm. Anna Kabeca, who we love, and Cynthia, I mean, uh, Mindy Pels, who we love, talks. Mm -hmm. you talk a lot about oxytocin. So what are your favorite ways to produce oxytocin and how does oxytocin counteract with cortisol, the stress hormone? Yeah. I mean, and it's funny, I'm writing a, um, a set of slides for a presentation I'm giving next month. And, and the last slide I did last night was on oxytocin. Perfect. So it's, it's really the mother of all hormones and we need to get hits throughout the day because when we release oxytocin, uh, it only sticks around for a few minutes. So for anyone who's ever breastfed a baby, you release a lot of oxytocin and that helps with that bonding with your infant. So retrospectively, I would say that was probably the most amazing experience as a mom. Um, and I yeah. have two kids and I did that for two years of my life and I loved every minute of it, which they, as teenagers would be horrified uh, to hear <laughs> me say that. But I would say, you know, the, the easy things is just hugging people that you love. Like mm -hmm. when I go to events and I get to see Ben and his beautiful fiance, 
Um, I think about like hugging my dogs. I mean, my dogs are like the happiest, happiest beings in my life consistently um, hugging my dogs, hugging my husband, hugging my kids, um, just interacting with people that you, you love and appreciate um, doing things that bring you joy. Like something as nerdy as let's see what book is on my, my, what book do I, I have I like a whole pile of books. This is one of the books that oops, I'm reading for um, a podcast interview I have next week. Um, but just reading like, you know, to me, nothing brings me greater joy than learning. And so like reading books, traveling, but for each one of us, it might be very different. Like maybe like you love to cook or you love to do volunteer work, but that helps release oxytocin. Um, and I would be remiss. My husband would be disappointed if I didn't say, you know, just having sex and having an orgasm um, is a really powerful way to um, evoke oxytocin also lowers cortisol. So all of those things help reduce cortisol. And for all of us that are type A, myself included, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's definitely one of those things like we actively have to work at. And it's a really potent and powerful way to harness really leaning into the things that bring us joy. How many people in this group do things they don't enjoy doing? Like mm -hmm. I, there's been a whole lot less of that in my life over the past two and a half years. But I encourage people to like, what do you really love? Like maybe you like gardening. Like my husband loves getting outside and doing his thing in the yard. And I just always say, it's your dad's thing. He loves it. Or for each one of us, it might be a little bit different, but the easiest thing to think about is a hug, um, a hug with someone that you genuinely like, yeah. um, not just an obligatory social hug, but with mm -hmm. people that you really love and like. I love it. So important. Get that oxytocin. And then the last thing I'll add to the oxytocin piece is uh, gratitude, right? The vitamin G mm -hmm. practice of gratitude, which we've been talking about a lot this week. When you practice gratitude, you're getting oxytocin, release serotonin, mm -hmm. you're getting all these amazing neurotransmitters. So uh, these are all, most of them are free tools and uh, we have available to us whenever we want. Uh, Jilly loves to dance. She's a Zumba instructor, right? Things all like right. that, things that you love to do. It's funny because you mentioned the book thing about that being a, a good oxytocin release. And I agree hundred percent. And you know, it's funny, Cynthia. And of course this is TikTok and TikTok is a crazy world out there with trolls, but I posted a video on, I think it was like five ways to get better sleep tonight. One of the tips was turn off the TV, turn off the news, mm -hmm. which is stimulating your heart rate and open yep. the book. And this guy made a video on my video saying, actually, books are the worst thing to read before bed. It's going to raise your heart rate. And I'm oh. like, what are you reading? I was about to say, what are you reading? Exactly. It's like, not the books I read. Like, yeah. you're probably reading like horror books. I don't know. Yeah. but Maybe Stephen King. Yeah, exactly. Not It depends on the book, of course. But yeah. I love reading too. So find what you love to do, uh, mm -hmm. find that purpose and live on purpose with the purpose. So awesome. Okay. We're going to get now into the VIP Q and a here is Lynn. Hi, you Hi. mentioned the importance of uh, protein. Now, as I've gotten older, I've gotten tired of eating meat, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I I'm understanding the importance of it. But when you talk about at least a hundred grams per day with each meal does it always have to be meat can it be nuts okay um, plant protein yeah and that's a great question um i am a fan of animal-based protein so i'm going to recommend eggs fish chicken it doesn't have to be beef or pork bison you know whatever whatever you know uh, appeals to you um, the, the challenge that I have with nuts is it's very easy to overeat them. And that even, it, that's even an issue for me. I, Ben knows I'm obsessed with salt and macadamia nuts, but I portion them out. Like I'll do my quarter cup and I, that's all I eat because it's so easy to keep eating because it's sure. salty and it's fatty and it's delicious. Um, 
I think it's challenging. There isn't a lot of protein in nuts and they tend to overall be higher in carbohydrates. So macadamia nuts are, tend to be lower in carbs. So you really have to kind of watch that. Do you eat eggs and do you drink bone I broth? Do. Perfect. I okay. do. Yes. Okay. Fish, yeah. totally out. <laughs> Okay. Okay. But would you do like chicken or poultry? Does that yeah. appeal to you? Okay. Yeah. I would just find, a, you know, a couple different proteins that you enjoy. And I find most women in perimenopause and menopause are maybe eating 50 grams a day. So it's not as if you're going to go from 50 to hundred, you will have to work diligently to slowly increasing those portions. And this might be a time to, you know, use an app like chronometer where you can actually determine how much protein you're getting into your diet and then kind of leveling off, like getting to a point where, you feel good and comfortable, but it'll probably take a bit of time. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Lynn. Good seeing you. Awesome question. Here's Scott. Hi, Scott. Uh, hi. Thank you, Cynthia. Quite enjoyable listening to your talk. And I was trying to relate it. I've been on keto. I've tried to get my wife on keto. She's kind of, she's better health thinner than I she tried, but she just can't hang. And she has had a hysterectomy probably two months now. And I think her hormonal issues are settling down. But anyway, Ben talked about one gram per protein per ideal weight. Would that be similar to that of a woman or just mainly men? No, it, it's actually both. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon is a good friend. And this is an area of expertise for her. And, and she doesn't differentiate between men and women. I think it's especially critically important because we actually need more protein as we get older yeah. because we don't absorb it quite as well. So, you know, my, my teenagers can eat the same amount of protein and they will break it down and absorb most of it. Whereas I have to consume more just to be able to assimilate those amino acids. So protein is broken into amino acids. And I, I think it's, it's absolutely critical for understanding, like we want to avoid um, losing muscle mass and strength. And one of the ways we do that is to, to lift weights. And it's also hitting those protein thresholds. But like, just like I said to Jill, um, you know, certainly for a lot of people, if they're not eating that amount of protein, that can seem really overwhelming. So just start with slowly yeah. increasing your protein with each meal. And that's a really good way to just slowly creep that up. Very well. Thank you so much. You're Thanks, welcome. Thanks, God. Good seeing you. I love it. I love that you're asking questions for your wife. That's awesome. Okay. We have a few more here, Cynthia, in the private chat. I'm going to read them to okay. you. Erica says, so interesting. Oral progesterone made me feel crazy agitated when I was younger and fertility and on fertility treatments didn't know it was a calming hormone. Any comment on that? Uh, as someone who went through infertility myself, yeah, I didn't like it, but I, I think it had a lot to do with the dosage that I was probably receiving and probably what you received. There are women that do get agitated with certain types of progesterone, uh, progesterone is the bioidentical formulation as opposed to progestin. And so just making sure that getting clarification on what you were taking before and the dosage. Um, I think that I would probably discuss with your, your GYN, just ask them, you know, how you would recommend navigating, um, replacing some of the progesterone. You could probably start again in conjunction with your healthcare provider, uh, even transdermal progesterone. If you're at that stage of life where that would be a benefit. Yeah. And here's a cool fun fact. I give, um, transdermal, uh, so progesterone cream to my dog. You uh, do. Yeah. I learned this from Dr. Michael Platt. He says when dogs have a lot of anxiety, cause when there's thunder, he shakes. Um, so I put it in his ears and it calms him down. Um, so oh, I should try that with my anxious <laughs> rescue. Yes, exactly. So they're not barking during your podcast interviews, right? <laughs> before every interview, go to your yeah. Come on, dog. It's time yeah. to get some progesterone to calm down. So mm -hmm. yeah, it works. It works for him. It isn't 
hundred percent shut him up or stop him from shaking, but it, it lessens the shaking and the anxiety. Yeah. Erica has two more questions. What are your preferred protein powders or do you recommend just getting it from real foods? No, I'm a realist. Uh, I, I would be a hypocrite to suggest otherwise. Uh, my favorite protein powder that I recommend to my patients is Marigold. So it's New Zealand grass-fed whey. It's made in small batches, super high quality. Uh, their chocolate malt, I'm told, is like phenomenal. That's my mm -hmm. husband's favorite. They also have vanilla and they have an unflavored. Um, you know, in terms of other options, like I like a bone broth protein because I don't tolerate dairy. Uh, I, I would say the cleanest, if, if you're interested, if the cleanest uh, vegetarian option is Truvani, um, and that's Food Babe's product. I have no affiliation with any of these things. Uh, that's probably the 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 best one I've tried. Um, and I say this like I, I generally don't like plant based protein powders at all. Agreed. Um, but but I feel like I, for good measure, I had to try some things out for clients and patients. And I would add to that, uh, you're right. We want to be a realist here, and it's kind of hard for some people to get enough protein mm -hmm. from real food. Ideally, you want it to come mostly from real food and. Mm -hmm. Protein shakes are a supplement. So remember that word. It's the supplement eating mm -hmm. the real food. But if you are drinking protein shakes every day, which a lot of people do, that's not a good idea. It's actually making your digestive system lazy um, and it could create a whole bunch of other problems. But, you know, a few times per week, that's okay, especially after training. Um, I love the product. Of course, Ben Bickman's Health Code Shakes. We're going to give away two after the session. But in terms of like, a, I love perfect aminos. Do you use them at all? Perfect aminos? Or I have them. You know, it's funny. And I don't know if I have an older like formulation. Um, when I was hospitalized a couple of years ago, my doc wanted me to really ramp up my protein intake. I thought the powder was too sweet and the pills themselves were so big, like to take nine or 10 at a time. Um, I ended up, I ended up donating them to one of my clients. I was like, if you want these, you can have them. I know they have nice products um, and maybe think maybe their formulations have changed since then. I, I do occasionally recommend their bars. Like if people are looking for something to be able to uh, travel with, I think their bars, they, they tend to be, again, they're more like a keto bar. They're lower protein um, MCT oil. Um, I have one client who eats one as dessert. Like when she has dessert during the week, that's, that's her great. dessert. Yeah, no, I love their product. It's, it mm. is good. I, I don't do their shakes, so I'm not sure how sweet or how it tastes now, but the, I do the capsules, but they are big. They are big. So, I mean, and I'm not normally sensitive to yeah. stuff like that, but I remember I thinking do. I can't do this three times a And day. I, I do 10 of them a day, right? So what I do is I put them in my mouth and I chew them and I break them and then I swallow them and chase them down with water. It doesn't taste that great, but they're, they have some good research. I actually interviewed him yesterday, Dr. David Minkoff, and that'll okay. come out later, but his research is really phenomenal as a way to really fill in those amino acid gaps. So I hope that helps. Next question is about irregular periods. Um, by the way, we have two minutes. Do you have a hard stop at one? No, I'm good. Okay. Um, Erica says about irregular periods, how do we flex when we have crazy irregular cycles, uh, like two to three times a year at random times? Oh, well, um, I think I kind of alluded to just keeping, if you're really like the tail end of perimenopause, like you're almost in menopause, um, it gets challenging. And that's what I was saying. There's no like test. There's no specific way to know where you are. You can go along with the lunar calendar. So on a uh, full moon day, that's uh, a menstrual cycle day or when you, your period starts, that's typically what I do or I encourage women to keep uh, a calendar. And obviously if you're only getting a cycle two to three times a year, that would be a lot of keeping track of symptoms. Um, I would probably just allot a specific time during the month, whether it's, you know, one day or two days to bump yourself out of ketosis. 
then I'm not sure if you have a specific way. I think when women are toward, like you're almost at menopause, if your, your cycles are that sporadic, um, the challenging thing is if they keep happening, then you, the clock resets and you have to wait a whole other year before mm -hmm. saying you're fully menopausal. Yeah, that's a great tip. And, and Erica, you're in the Academy. So we'll work with you on that. You know, a 511 rule could be a, a mm -hmm. general protocol that we could tweak for you. And by the way, if you're wondering what the heck is a 511, this Monday, session seven, our final session, I'm going to get into that 511 rule and some different strategies for keto flexing. It's also for those who are members in the fourth pillar. Um, a couple more questions here, Cynthia. Uh, Susie says, I have been doing pretty strict keto, less than 10 grams of carbs per day for four months. And I'm still exhausted and I often feel lethargic, but I sleep really well and for longer than I have ever slept. When does the increased energy kick in? Could this be a hormonal imbalance? Yes. I was going to say you need labs done. You need a CBC, a CMP, a full thyroid panel, full iron panel. Um, you need your sex hormones done, your IGF-1, which is a reflection of growth hormone. Um, if you're that tired, then something's wrong. And the other thing is if you're in perimenopause, it could be that your adrenals are really tanked. And, and, and again, it like leans into this is a time when you need testing. I'm glad to know you're sleeping well. But if you're that tired, it could be a million, it could be a myriad of things like reactivation of a latent virus, it could be a lot of different things. Yeah. It could be as simple as you know, your cortisol is really low, and uh, your sex hormones are not optimized, maybe your thyroid, it's not uncommon to see women that have uh, an underactive thyroid and perimenopause. So I think the next step is getting together, hopefully with a functional or integrative medicine provider that can do a really comprehensive workup to make sure it's not something that can be fixable. Like maybe your iron stores are low because you get really heavy periods, but a lot of things that can impact your energy. Yeah, that's good. Those are great lab markers. In the academy for the members, we have what's called the Pompa panel, meaning Dr. Pompa put together a panel. A lot of the markers Cynthia just mentioned, mm -hmm. and we could actually order them for you and we could review them for you. Um, and we also offer the Dutch test, which you, mm -hmm. you love. And we have a practitioner on board who reads it for you as well. So if you're an Academy member, all you've got to do is email us support at ketocamp.com and we could get all that to you. A um, couple more here and then we'll let Cynthia enjoy her Saturday. Um, Helen says, my energy levels are highly impacted while doing intermittent fasting. Some days I have high energy, but many days I hit a very low energy point. On these days, I can't weight train and, and functioning is low. I'm trying to increase muscle mass because of osteoporosis. Also, energy and mood interrelated. This info is helpful. However, I remain perplexed about how to address the energy impact. Any tips? Hmm. I think that kind of ties into the last answer that I gave. You need testing yep. and not knowing exactly where you are life stage wise. When a woman tells me she is fasting and she's still really tired and really exhausted, um, you have to start thinking about, you know, fasting is a form of hormesis, hormetic stress. And you start thinking about, are you over-exercising? Are you getting high quality sleep? Are you fasting too much? Are you too low carb? Um, there's a lot of bioindividuality, but I think testing is, is really important to help get you the answers that you're looking for. Yeah. And Helen, Helen's a member. We'll get it for you. And Susie too. They're both members. So we'll get them both for you. Cynthia. I love you. I appreciate you. You're amazing. Please share with everybody where they could get your book, your website, your anywhere you want them to go. You have, Cindy has an awesome podcast, Everyday Wellness Podcast. Go subscribe to it. But where else can they go? Yeah. No, thank you, Ben. It's always an honor and a privilege to connect with you. Um, so probably easiest to start with my website. So it's just my name, www.cynthiatherlow.com. I have not one, but two podcasts. I have the That's Everyday great. Wellness Podcast that Ben has been uh, a guest on three times, I believe. And then I co-host co 
co-host, co-host the intermittent fasting podcast with Melanie Avalon, which if you're interested in fasting, we do read listeners questions. That's a totally different format. Um, I'm easiest to find on Instagram at Cynthia underscore Thurlow underscore. I'm a little snarky on Twitter. Um, I do have a presence on Facebook. I have a free Facebook group that's intermittent fasting lifestyle backslash my name. We have men and women in that group. It's a very positive group. And if you're looking for the book, it is found in all places. So Target, Barnes and Noble, Amazon. But if you have a local bookstore, please patronize them. I'm honored that uh, I got a wonderful endorsement from Ben, as well as others like Ben Bickman and Jason Fung and other heavyweights in the metabolic health space. But yeah, that's the easiest way to find me. But just be forewarned, if, I, if you see me on Twitter, I can be a little snarky. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to email everybody those resources. So in case you didn't write them down, and uh, I'm sure Cynthia and I will be sharing another stage or many stages in 2023 and beyond. So we'd love to see you in person. Cynthia, thank yeah. you so much for coming on today. Thank you. I, I agree with you. Thanks, everybody. I appreciate you. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Feel free to sign off, okay? Yep. Thank you, Cynthia. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Cynthia. Her website is CynthiaThurlow.com. She's, she's also on Instagram. And YouTube is a great place to find her as well. We'll reference her links down below in the podcast notes. Go subscribe to her Everyday Wellness podcast. She does such a great job bringing on amazing guests and interviewing them and preparing for them. I respect her as a podcast host, especially as myself being a podcast host. I can tell when people put in the work to have a great podcast, and she's definitely somebody who puts in the work. So Everyday Wellness Podcast is the name of her podcast. Go share this episode with a friend if you want to watch the video version of today's interview. That could be found on our Keto Camp YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash ketocamp. And go get registered for our upcoming seven-day keto challenge. You're not going to want to miss this. This is going to be our best one yet. Head over to ketocampchallenge.com or click the link in the podcast notes. Thank you so much. I love and appreciate you. We're going to actually pick up where this conversation left off with tomorrow's episode with Dr. Mindy Pels. And I know that you're thinking, whoa, didn't you just have Dr. Mindy Pels on your episode on your podcast, excuse me? Yes, we did. And we also are bringing her back again because we love her that much and she has so much to share with you. So we did a special live stream, me and Mindy, this week where we had a, an amazing conversation for about 40 minutes and then we did a question and answer for another 30 minutes. So we're going to release that for you tomorrow, January 7th. Be sure to listen to that when that comes out because it picks up where the conversation left with Cynthia Thurlow today. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. Love and appreciate you. I'll see you on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.